very pleasant good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell. Hope everybody had a great Fourth of July holiday weekend, and everybody's back at work this week. They're ready to begin a a five-day week. We're going to sit back tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds, who basically had opposite weeks this past week, yet the Indians are still closer to first place than the Reds are as we enter tonight's action. And we're going to bring in now our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue, to talk about the Reds. Mark, how was your week? Well, Dan, I, I don't know, I don't understand how you can be so enthusiastic <clears throat> when the Reds are so boring. And I, I, I need to vent. I remember you last year. I believe it was you, single-handedly, who got rid of the of the Indians' manager last year because you were you were never ending in your in your hatred for the manager of the Cleveland Indians. And uh, right now, I'm I'm just beside myself with boredom watching the Cincinnati Reds team play. But we can get into more details about that as we get into the show. Well, we definitely will do that. We're going to have our Ask Us segment coming up. We've got some interesting questions on tonight's show. You can send us an email and get on to tonight's show simply by sending us an email to askus, A-S-K-U-S, at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or you can tweet us at OHBB co-host. Well, as we enter tonight's action, the Indians and the Tigers are playing in game four of their series, Mark. The first two games were a disaster for the Indians. Now, yesterday was a little better. They won 9-6, to and right now they're tied 2-2. The Reds, on the other hand, uh, they have picked up at least a game from last week, but they're still behind the Cardinals in Pittsburgh, who are tied for first in the Central Division. So how was the Reds' week? You're saying it was boring, but overall, before we get into the boring part of it, they went 4-2 and two on the week, so it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. They should have been 6-0. and oh. uh, That Seattle team, the Reds' AAA team could beat. Uh, the Reds did not face their top two pitchers, and they still lost two or three games. And uh, the Reds have so many holes in that lineup that uh, they're not going to be able to to get out of third place. And I hope what's happening now is the Washington Nationals are beginning to play a little better. The Reds had a six-and-a-half game lead for the second wild card spot. That's down to, I think, three-and-a-half or four at this point. And I just don't see the Reds having the, the offensive firepower to sustain any kind of drive like they did last year when they won, I think, 22 out of 25 games. They won nine or ten in a row. That's not going to happen this year. And my my prediction early in the, in the year was they finished third because of their offense, and unfortunately uh, that has I've not been proved wrong on that. Unfortunately, so uh, the Reds have to do something, and the front office either is going to let this season slip away, or they're going to go out there and grab a bat. Well, we're going to get into some trade rumors in our Ask Us segment coming up in the second half hour. Also. I want to let everybody know that there's a major controversy going on in Cincinnati at Great American Ballpark that Mark probably doesn't even know about, and we're going to talk about that in the second half hour also, so stick around for that. But, Mark, if they go through the rest of the season and do nothing, not only do they have a hole at cleanup to fill, but they've got a hole at leadoff to fill if they wait till next year because Shin Su Chu probably mm-hmm. is not going to re-sign. 
He's not going to resign, <clears throat> but they've got bigger problems than that. Uh, they have a hole at third base offensively. They've got a hole, hole at shortstop offensively, although it's not quite as bad because you don't expect your shortstop to hit, uh, you know, 270, 280, or 300. He, he's sitting 240. The problem with Cozart is he's bounced into 12 double plays so far this year. He's on pace to hit into 23, 25 double plays. And with Frazier and Cozart and Hannigan in that lineup, or, or Mezzarocco, you have three sure outs, not including the pitcher. And the, the, the Reds, no team can compete when you have that kind of hole, and that doesn't even include left field, where they have a collective batting average of 234 in left field. <clears throat> this team offensively is one of the weakest teams in baseball, and they expect Joey Votto and Jay Bruce to go out there and do it every night, but you're right. When they lose Chu next year, they're going to need three or four bats in that lineup that they don't have today. And, and Dave, the problem is they don't have it at AAA or AA either. Well, what do you anticipate them doing? I mean, they're, obviously they're going to have to go the trade route, and I really haven't heard any trade rumors about the Reds. I even went onto the Internet this afternoon and took a look at some things, and nothing includes the Reds. Yeah, but that's, that's pretty much the M.O. of Walt Jockety. Uh, I heard today that they were interested in Fran Cor. Who cares? You know, he was hitting 212 uh, in the American League, and he, he's not certainly the answer. Uh, the only thing I heard last week on radio in Miami was that the Reds had shopped around or asked about uh, Giancarlo Stanton, but the the Marlins, as and I, I don't blame them, they wanted <clears throat> the Reds to give up Billy Hamilton and uh, Robert Stevenson, their number one uh, pitcher in, in in the minor leagues and uh, Donald Lutz, uh, those three, four, Stanton. Now, you know, you might make that trade if you haven't already traded uh, Didi Gregorius, uh, the four players they gave up uh, to get Matt Latos, and then they gave up um, uh, Woods for the, to the Cubs for Sean Marshall. And Woods, has, he's the number one pitcher in the National League. So the Reds have given up a lot of young talent of late, and so far, except for Latos, uh, it, it's not proven to be uh, a fruitful trade for the Reds, a lot of these trades. So, you know, that's the comment I heard was that's what got Jockerty fired in St. Louis, that he gave up the farm system uh, to, to win. And, you know, maybe that's what you have to do to win. I don't know. But they had gone a number of years not winning, and they still gave up a lot of very talented kids. So I think the Reds are in a bind right now. Either if they stand pat and do nothing, they're not going to make the playoffs. This team will not make the playoffs. If they go out and get a bat or two, uh, they have a chance. If they get two or three bats, that chance goes up precipitously. But uh, right now this team is playing with no emotion, they don't steal bases. They're last in the league in stolen bases. Uh, even their defense is weaker this year than it was last year. And uh, it, I watched this team play, and uh, the other night they got beat yesterday 3-1 to one, uh, by a journeyman pitcher. Uh, and it's just they're a very boring, unexciting, unemotional team that, uh, frankly, I wouldn't go pay C right now. Well, I know in talking about the Indians over the last couple of years and even throughout their heyday in the 90s, and Mark, we can even go back to the Big Red Machine days and go back to the 90s 
when the Reds were playing some good baseball and, and winning a championship in that season. You know, you can't depend upon your minor leagues. I think minor leaguers are brought up to be part of trades. I mean, for example, I think the Indians probably would have won one, if not maybe two, world championships in the 90s had it not been for the fact that John Hart was stuck on not trading Jared Wright for Pedro Martinez, which was what the deal was straight up. Uh, they traded Sean Casey to Cincinnati for Dave Burba. I think that was a great deal for both teams. But, I mean, you're looking at players that the Indians have traded throughout the years. And, I mean, even look at some of the players that the Reds have traded out of their minor leagues for years, Mark. And a lot of them just don't pan out. Yeah, minor leaguers, I forget the statistic, but it's remarkable how many get to double A and never make it to the minor to the major leagues and how many get to triple A and are in the major leagues for less than a year. It's an amazing number. It's it's a very high number. So you're right, you, you can't rely on the minor leaguers. But there's there's another component to what you're talking about. It's when to do it. When do you have a chance to make the playoffs and perhaps win a World Series? Because uh, it's been proven the last several years, you can go in as a wild card team and you can win the World Series. So all you have to do is get to the playoffs and you you, you know you you have a shot. But it's when you make trades when you don't have an opportunity, a realistic opportunity to get to the playoffs. And right now, I think the Indians are a bat away. I, frankly, right now, I'd rather watch the Indians play than the Reds. I, I just think they're a much more exciting team. They're, they're a younger team. They seem to have more enthusiasm. Uh, maybe it's Nick Swisher. I don't know. But right now, the Reds are a very, very boring team to watch, and, and I don't see it getting any better. Well, Mark, I want to talk to you a little bit about Billy Hamilton because uh, even if he does make – the majors. Let, let's just say, for argument's sake, he does make the majors. Is the way his game is formulated all around speed? Is he the type of ball player that can change the game of baseball like a Ricky Henderson did when he came up and stole a hundred bases a year? Is he that type of ball player, or is he going to be a ball player that's going to steal you forty, fifty, sixty bases a year and struggle to hit two forty or two fifty? Unfortunately, I think it's the latter. Ricky Henderson was an anomaly. He, gets, he, he stole 1,500 bases in his career, but he, I forget how many home runs he hit, but he, he was a power hitter. Uh, he had a tremendous uh, slugging percentage. He hit for average. He, he was just a great, great ball player. That's not Billy Hamilton. He's not even in the same league as that. You know, it's ironic now because Billy Hamilton came up as a shortstop. And the Reds made a decision last year to get rid of Gregorius uh, and keep uh, Zach Cozart. Ironically, if you put Billy Hamilton at shortstop and he hit 240 and he stole you 50, 60, 70 bases, that that's a great find. Uh, that, that's some you can live with that, but you don't live with that a 240 hitting center fielder with no power, and that's what you got there. Now, I, I know people hate to see this, hate to hear it, but I think a solution for the Reds, and a lot of people will moan about this, but I would, I would move Brandon Phillips to third base. He's 32 years old. He's not, even, it's ironic because yesterday Marty Brenneman said that he's not turning the double play like he used to. He's 32. And he's going to lose 
a step a year for the next three or four years. You put him at third base, he's, he's a gold-glove third baseman with a cannon arm. He's going to hit you 275, hit 25 home runs, perfect for third base. You then slide Billy Hamilton into second base, and now you've got a second baseman capable of stealing you 70, 80 bases. You've got speed. You've, you've got great defense in the infield, and that changes the team. And then you go out and find, you know, a center fielder uh, and a left. You got you got um, Ludwig coming back, put him in left field, and, and go find a center fielder for next year. But you know, the Reds are so conservative that they're afraid to make those kinds of moves. Look what the Orioles did with Machado. This kid came up as a shortstop. They had Hardy uh, at, at short. They kept him there. They put Machado at third base, and look what he's doing. He's going to be, you know, he's just a great player at third base. The Reds don't seem to have the guts to do those kinds of moves. And, you know, I think Machado, I, I wanted to bring this up last week, but I think Machado has more potential to be a greater ball player than Mike Trout and maybe even Bryce Harper. I like Bryce Harper better than I do Trout, but I think Machado is just a one whale of a ball player. Did you see that play he made yesterday? Yeah, it looked just like Brooks Robinson. And the thing is, he dropped it. He dropped the ball. And he still picked it up barehanded and threw a seed over to first base. But you're right. He, I think he has more physical talent. I'm afraid Mike Trout is going to eat himself out of you know the, the kind of player he could be. He is a big kid. I saw him in spring training, and he's, he's a big man. And he bulked up this year. He must have gained 30 pounds. And... You do that again next year, and all of a sudden you've got, you know, a left fielder or a first baseman, not not a center fielder. But Machado, he's 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 lithe. He's got an unbelievable arm, and he gets on base. He leads the world in doubles. What an exciting player that kid is. Well, what I think is interesting, also, Mark, and this kind of leads into our trade rumors in the second half hour of tonight's show that Aramis Ramirez of Milwaukee now has been put on the 15-day DL so they can bring Ryan Braun off the DL and play tonight against the Reds. But with the trading deadline coming up at the end of the month, that puts him almost right at the end of the month. And who's going to want to go after a player that's injured? Well, that's true. And as I said, unless Milwaukee is willing to eat a whole bunch of contracts, and why would they? Uh, if they're going to pay him anyway, they might as well keep him unless they're going to get something huge in return. But he's he's slowed down considerably. He's, he's going to be a one-year rental for somebody. And I, I just don't think there's a big market for Ramos Ramirez this year. Okay, well, we've gone through the first 15 minutes of tonight's show, Mark, and we haven't even talked about the highlight of last week for the Reds, which was the, well, main, mainly throughout the entire game of baseball, which was the Homer Bailey no-hitter last Tuesday night. He was simply dominant in that game against the Giants. Well, he got over it. He's given up four runs on four hits tonight. Uh, and that's that's the M.O. on Homer Bailey. This guy can, can pitch unbelievably well, as he did last week with the no-hitter, against a very good team, by the way, and then go out the next time and simply not have the mental focus or he hung two curveballs tonight that were lifted out of the ballpark, and they were right in the middle of the plate. And you just didn't see guys like Clemens or Nolan Ryan do that. If you if you beat them, uh, you know you beat them on their on their good stuff. And and Homer Bailey, 
he has the arm, and we keep talking about the ten cent head and the you know million dollar arm, and it's so frustrating when you're a Reds fan. I mean, Homer Bailey's got a losing record this year, and this is a guy who yeah, he can throw 97 miles an hour in the ninth inning and pitch a no hitter, and uh, but then go out the next time and get lit up, and that's what's happening tonight. Well, you know, as always happens in no hitters, there's always one play that defines the game, and of course that was in the sixth inning when uh, Joey Votto made an outstanding play to really keep the no-hitter going. Let's hear what happened there. Swing on a little chopper in the right side of the infield. Joey Votto's going to go to third. Now they've got Blanco in a run down, and Todd Frazier is backing up for the second out of the inning. A fielder's choice that will go 3-5. It was a little looping bouncer that didn't bounce except about five feet in front of Joey Votto. He went over towards second base and fielder. And he was about to go back to the bat when he saw Gregor Blanco got a terrible jump from second base on him because he wasn't sure whether Votto would catch it on the fly. So then he tried to go to third. Votto fired the third. He was a dead duck. Well, of course, that was uh, courtesy of WLW Radio, of course. But I want to say, Mark, that not only was that a great play by Votto, but it was also controversial because of the ruling that... uh, on a fielder's choice. A lot of people don't understand, Mark, that when you go for a fielder's choice, which is basically what Votto did, he had no way to get the guy at first in Posey, and he got the guy at third, which made it a fielder's choice, which means you can't have a hit, and that kept the no-hitter going. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I heard somebody say that there was a rule at one time, I guess they changed it back in the 30s or 40s, where had the runner which was Posey, I think, had he actually beat the play to first before the out was recorded at third, that would have been a hit. Now, they changed that rule. I forget when they changed it. But, uh, yeah, it's really like the continuation rule in in the NBA. Uh, If you get that out, it doesn't matter now if the guy beats the play to first base if if you get the out because they they didn't make a play on him. If they had made a play play on him, and he beat it. It's obviously a base hit. They did not, so it became a fielder's choice. So it wasn't. It wasn't a great play physically for Joy Votto. It was an easy play, but it was a heads-up play. It was a smart play, and he knew he didn't have uh, a chance because Bailey did not get off the mound to cover the first base bag. Yeah, it was really a, a mental error on the fact of on on the behalf of Homer Bailey, but it turned out to be a great play on behalf of Joey Votto to have heads up enough to see that Blanco was caught in no man's land between second and third, and that kept the no-hitter in order, and, and really, Bailey didn't give up anything after that. <clears throat> well, Mark, I'll tell you what, the Indians need a win tonight. You've gone off on the Reds tonight. I'm going to go off on Major League Baseball here in this game between Detroit and Cleveland. Uh, they need a win tonight in order to validate, I think, themselves being a contender and not a pretender. These first two games against Detroit this weekend, Mark, they had a sellout crowd both Friday and Saturday night, and they got blasted in both games. Yesterday they had a 5-1 to one lead, then a 6-2 to two lead, ended up being tied up at 6-6, and then Michael Brantley and Drew Stubbs uh, came up with some key hits in the bottom of the eighth inning, and the Indians ended up winning that game 9-6. to six. 
Right now they're tied 2-2 in the middle of a rainstorm. And i got to tell you, Mark, Major League Baseball and their scheduling philosophy, somebody really has to grab that after Bud Selig decides to finally retire, which I think he's been in retirement for the last 10 years anyway, but that's another story. But when you look at Major League Baseball, they're playing this game in the middle of a rainstorm. How many games have we seen this year, Mark, that are being played with puddles all over the field where pitchers have to knock the mud out of their spikes, where they can't even get a good footing on the mound and they're slipping and sliding? I thought Kazmir hurt his knee tonight when he had to brace himself to go over and cover the bag at first base and he slipped on the mound and almost fell down and then came up limping. These high-priced athletes, they want to keep track of them and baby them as much as they do, but then baseball forces them to play in conditions like this. It just isn't right. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. And the somebody will get hurt. It's just a matter of time. Somebody will get dangerously hurt, career-ending probably, and certainly season-ending before they end up doing something. And um, the, the only group that can do something is the players' union, that they've got to step up and protect their players. Because if they don't, somebody is going to be carted off the field, and you could, you could have a, a career-ending injury. It's going to happen. Yeah, unfortunately, I think this is one of those items that, as a union, you're willing to give in on to get something bigger during contract negotiations. I think it's just one of those cases. I mean, they've had to delay this game a couple of times. Uh, matter of fact, Max Scherzer even turned around in the second inning and looked at Joe West, the umpire out of second and the crew chief in tonight's game, and looked at him and said, are you guys ever going to put the tarp on the field? He said, I can't even get any footing here. And Joe West immediately threw his hands up in the air and said, we're going to delay it. And they ended up having about a 40-minute delay and then got back into it. But it's a rainstorm that they're playing in. It's not anything that uh, is really dangerous to the players' health with lightning and everything all over, but it's just that consistent rain mark, you know, where it just makes the field almost unplayable. If they put the tarp on it and wait, it'd be okay after the rain's left, but it's just now a mud pit. You know, don't say that they can't get hurt just because it's rain. I I remember playing a game uh, in Phoenix, uh, in, in the world, in the men's senior World Series down there, and it, it had rained all day. The field shouldn't have been played on, but a guy came around third base. It was wet. He he, he planted his left leg, and it broke. And I mean, it broke at a ninety degree angle. And it's because he slipped and tried to catch himself, and it broke his leg. Uh, it it can happen, and uh, it's also going to happen to a pitcher who's going to come off the mound. He's going to slide. He's going to tear a hamstring. Uh, so badly or hurt his back so badly he won't be able to play the rest of the year. It's going to happen because it seems far more more prevalent today than it was 20, 30 years ago when it, it, it rained, the game was called. It was, you know, they, didn't, they didn't do what they do now. And, you know, if they, if they just shorten the season by five or six games, get it down to uh, 156 or even 154 games like it used to be, then they have the luxury of postponing these games and rescheduling them with no problem. But the Reds had a rainout last week, and they can't reschedule it till the end of the year because they, there's no common off days where they can play this. They just try to cram too many games in to sh- too short a period of time. 
if they would play doubleheaders on Sundays like they used to do, they could fit the games in. Because they're actually starting with 154 games, and I've looked this up. They actually started the season around April 19th, April 20th every year throughout the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And it ended in the in the third week of September, and the playoffs were always over in the first. The, the playoffs and World Series were always over in the first and second week of October. Now they're playing just eight more games, and they're starting the season two weeks before, and they're ending it almost a month after what they used to. They meet, and they don't play any more doubleheaders. That's because you have two more levels of playoffs that they, they didn't have back then. They, they had the World Series. Right. That was the playoff. So you're right. It was over in early October. The weather was always good. Now they're playing into sometimes as far into late October, even early November. They played World Series games where it's cold in Chicago or it's cold somewhere, and it, it just it is ridiculous to cheapen the, the product that way. I mean, I think fans would appreciate it. You could add a couple dollars a ticket or something, make up for the lost revenue or whatever you want to do. But this is this is ridiculous that they have this kind of scheduling crunch and that they're playing games in March and they're playing games in November. And now they're sending – somebody's going to Australia next year to open the season. Yeah, Arizona is playing, I believe, the Dodgers in, Arizona, in Australia to start the season. It's going to be the third week in March because they need two days to fly down there and two days to fly back. And they're going to play three games in Australia. But, Mark, I think where this got started was back, and I don't remember what year it was, but I know you'll remember what happened. Steve Carlton and the Phillies were in the playoffs against the Dodgers, and it was a rainstorm in Philadelphia. And you, and if you remember, it was just coming down cats and dogs, and they continued to play the game. And Steve Carlton, after every pitch, was complaining to the umpires about, would you stop this game? And they never would. And I think baseball saw at that time these guys could play through the rain, and they decided to go with it. Yeah, I remember a game, I think it was about in that era, I think it was in the 80s, and the same thing was happening where a team, you know, I think the home team uh, has to, uh, the visiting team has to hit five times to make the game official. And the home team, it was raining cats and dogs, and the pitcher for the home team, knowing his team was behind, he he must have walked seven or eight guys in a row. <laughs> Just so they, they finally had to call the game. He, he wouldn't get anybody out. So he forced the umpires to call the game, and his team didn't lose the game because of it. And they, they finally uh, they, they, they called the game. But uh, the only way this really works is if the players stand up and say, we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, the Indians right now, as I said, they're facing the Tigers. They're trying to split this series. Max Scherzer is going for the Tigers tonight, who's 13-0. and He's trying to become the first pitcher since Roger Clemens in 1986 to begin his season 14-0. Now, there's a couple of items of news out of the wigwam here this week. Vinny Pistano, the setup man who's really been having some problems lately, uh, has been replaced by Terry Francona with Joe Smith as the eighth-inning setup man for the next few weeks. Francona says he just wants to give Pistano a mental break and an opportunity to work on some things. Uh, Carlos Carrasco... 
Remember him? Well, you may have heard the last of him. <laughs> he was bombed so bad on Friday, Mark, that he was sent back to the minors right after the game. And they're probably going to bring up another rookie, Daniel Salazar, to pitch on Thursday. They're not even going to bother with Trevor Bauer this time. They're going with somebody new. Was that the, you know, there's always a game during a year that either sparks a team. Last year, the Reds' spark was they were behind Arizona on a home game here, six to nothing in the seventh inning, and came back and won the game. And that seemed to, to spur the team. Uh, to go out and have a huge winning streak. That game the other night when the Indians were ahead 5 to nothing and lost the game, do you think that has a residual effect on this team? Oh, I really believe so. But, you know, that's the type of ball game. You know, things seem to even out. Yeah, it can have an emotional effect, like you're talking about the Arizona game last year with the Reds. Yeah, coming back like that can really have an emotional effect on a team. But also those things seem to balance out. We had a game against Seattle earlier this year. Mark, where where we were down by three runs in the bottom of the ninth inning, came in and tied it up in the bottom of the ninth and won it in the bottom of the tenth. Had no business winning that ball game. So these things kind of even out. We should have beat Detroit that night and and didn't because Detroit came back and beat us. We just got no bullpen help in that ball game. But, uh, yeah, I tend to think that those things even out. But yet, like you said, does it have an emotional effect? Yeah, I think both ways, good and bad. Yeah, I, I think you're right. The it may even out, but the teams <clears throat> that win at the end of the year, they have fewer of those games on the negative side. They'll, they'll have more on the positive side. And mm-hmm. I, this year, I, I remember, I think it's the Phillies. Uh, they had some just horrific losses <laughs> where they've been ahead late in the game, and uh, they'll come in and, and you know their, their bullpen will blow the game for them. And I I think those are the most depressing games. When you have a lead, you know, you're cruising your head 5-1 to one or 6-1, to one, going into the seventh inning, and all of a sudden you lose 8-7. to seven. And I, th- those are the games that really leave a sour taste in your mouth, and it, it's, it's hard for a team to get up the next day and say, let's go out and win one. You know, it, it's, it's tough because you, you should have won that game, you had a lead, and you didn't do it. And what's even more perplexing, Mark, is that you talk about the Phillies' bullpen losing games. Everybody's still knocking on the Phillies' door to get Jonathan Papelbon. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Hey, we're going to talk about the major controversy going on at Great American Ballpark. We're also going to hear what Chipper Jones has had to say lately. We're going to do all that right after this timeout. In baseball news, Cincinnati called up their number one draft choice from this year's amateur draft. 18-year-old Dylan Michael spent less than a month in the team's minor league system where he hit a combined 406 with 12 home runs and 27 RBI. It's expected that Michael will start in center field tonight in Cincinnati's game against New York. Last at bat, a novel by Mark Donahue. Available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can also order a copy of Mark Donahue's book, Last at Bat, right here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Mark, there is a controversy going on at Great American Ballpark that you may not know about. I didn't even know about it until yesterday when I was told by Greg, whom him and his wife went to the ball game yesterday at Great American Ballpark, do you know you cannot find nachos at Great American Ballpark except at one spot in the upper deck? I did not know that. 
but I am appropriately appalled at that because I remember last year you could find them in many locations, and I got some because they served them in a miniature red helmet, batting helmet. And, you know, they turned, you put the chips on the inside and you filled it up with all kinds of stuff that would, you know, kill a horse. But uh, that, that is very depressing, and I think somebody, and I think Greg's the guy who ought to write some kind of memo to Castellini and demand his rights. I, I agree. Greg said that, that he and his wife had to walk all over the stadium. They finally found somebody on the second deck that had nachos, and they stopped this guy, practically accosted him to get the address of the concession stand that had the nachos. I'll tell you, if I come to Great American Ballpark anytime in the near future, I need to have a map of where the nacho concession stand is. I can't go through a ball game without nachos. Yeah, and the fact is, you're going to be so bored watching the Reds that your your only alternative is to eat. And if they don't have drink. what you want to eat, it, it makes for a long, long afternoon at the ballpark. Well, let's go into another controversy, Mark. I mean, that that's the one at Great American Ballpark, but there's another one going on via Twitter. And, you know, it surprises me because Chipper Jones, who just retired, he'll probably be a first ballot Hall of Famer for the Atlanta Braves after retiring last year. He seems to be talking more via Twitter in retirement than he ever did as a ball player. Have you heard what he had to say, not only about Angel Hernandez, but Yasiel Puig? Well, no, I have not. I can imagine what he's saying about Puig, but go ahead. Well, first of all, he tweeted on Friday during the Braves' 5-4 to loss to Philadelphia about Angel Hernandez, the umpire, and he said, it didn't take Angel long to screw up the strike zone, did it? Then he came back a few minutes later on his second tweet, to express his frustration, he said, I will not watch a game, any game, officiated by Angel Hernandez. His incompetence amazes me, and I'm tired of Major League Baseball doing squat about it. Good night. But then he wasn't done. He concluded his Friday evening tweets by urging fans to join him in refusing to watch or go to any games worked by Angel Hernandez. And of course, you know, We've talked about Angel Hernandez and how USA Today and Sports Illustrated did an anonymous survey of all the baseball players, and they said Angel Hernandez was the worst umpire of anybody in baseball. And yet, Mark, baseball just refuses to do anything, to do anything about the guy. Yeah, and, and hooray for uh, Chipper Jones. You know, he, you can't say that when you're an active player, but this is a guy well-respected. He doesn't map off. Uh, Hernandez has been an embarrassment for baseball for years, but let me see. How many umpires are there in baseball? Oh, boy. I think there's 150, I, something like that. I, yeah, I think you're right. Because you have to have four for each game, and uh, there's 15 games. They have backups, uh, You know, maybe 100, I don't know, something like that. But if he's last on the list, say there's 100 and he's 100th, who's 99th? Who's 98th? <laughs> Uh, are they any better? No, they're not. They're just as bad. And these guys are supposed to be professionals, and yet there's no retribution. There's no uh, punishment. There's no penalty to play when you screw up a game. The other, the other night, uh, the, the Reds are playing a game, and it was overlooked. But the, the Reds had the first man on in the eighth inning. Devin Mesoraco was up. He had a 2-0 count. 
Uh, the next pitch was clearly outside. I'm sorry, it was a 3-1 count. Uh, the next pitch was outside by four to five inches, and, and they showed the you know the Fox track thing. It was way low and outside. It wasn't even close to being a strike. Umpire called on a strike, and then Mesoraco strikes out on the next pitch. It changes the entire game. That you know that yes. one call, and you, 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 I don't mind umpires missing calls. It's going to happen, but they should not miss the obvious call. They should miss close calls. That's going to happen. But some of these calls are so ridiculously miscalled. You know why the players could call them better. You know, and I played in games where they've done that, and the players do a pretty good job. And if if you can't if you can't make the, the difficult call, you shouldn't be out there. Yeah, I've gotten in trouble before at basketball games where I've told the refs we'd be better off on the honor system, but that's another story. Um, here's another thing that Chipper Jones tweeted. This was on Saturday. He's talking about Yasiel Puig and his affiliation with, and basically the love affair that ESPN has with Yasiel Puig. And Jones wanted to support Freddie Freeman in this five-man vote that Major League Baseball puts in place just before the All-Star game to put the last player on. He's accusing ESPN and Major League Baseball of pushing for Puig's voting as the final player for the Major League Baseball game. I'm going to ask you this just straight out, Mark. Is Puig deserving of being on the All-Star team this year? Absolutely not. And if Puig wanted to endear himself to Major League Baseball, particularly the, the, the veterans, if he's elected by the fans for that, he should turn it down. He should say, thank you, but no thank you. I'm not deserving. I've only been here a month. I appreciate it, but there are more deserving veterans out there than, than I am right now. Thank you. And he would be revered by all the veterans in baseball. The press would love it. The fans would love it. Uh, but if, if he if he's voted in and he goes, he's going to be a schmuck. I, I agree with you. Matter of fact, I came loaded for Bear last week. Uh, he's He's played one month, Mark. He's played through the month of June. His stats are the same stats as Jason Kipnis of the Indians and the stats that he had through June. There was one percentage point difference between the two in June for batting average. Puig batted 419, Kipnis batted 420. As far as home runs, there were two home runs difference. As far as RBIs, Kipnis had 25, Puig had 19. Now, tell me, had had Kipnis not made the all-star team, how could they actually come back and say that Puig deserved to be on it? Well, it, it should be a non-issue. I mean, it's not even right. a, it's a something that shouldn't even be under consideration. But again, Puig could really endear himself to the veterans in baseball and be viewed as a real hero. But if he goes, he'll be snubbed. The guys are going to you know make fun of him. The, the, the people will take shots at him, and uh, he, he really has a chance to do something cool. But, you know, his his agent probably won't let him do it. Or, or Major League Baseball, perhaps, will insist that he goes. Well, it's time for our Ask Us segment. That's where you, the fans, ask Mark and I questions about all over Major League Baseball and the Reds and the Indians. And, of course, you can still get in and ask us some questions simply by emailing us at askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or send me a tweet at OHBBcohost. So, Mark, let's start out. And basically, it's trade rumor night on 
the Ask Us segment. And the first one comes in from Billy B. And he asks us, there is a possible left fielder that just visited Great American Ballpark this weekend in Raul Odanez. Would the Reds be interested in trading for him? Yeah, I think they, they would, other than the fact if they if they considered platooning him in left field. But uh, he, he's not a guy who can play every day. He's 41 years old. Uh, if, you, if you platoon him with uh, Heisey, who hit a home run tonight, by the way, uh, but they have this Derek Robinson who is so completely overmatched in Major League Baseball. I think anybody on a Major League roster would, would provide more than he is for the Reds. But the Reds have, have bigger problems, and it, it now sounds like Ludwig is not going to be back until at least mid-August, if at all. And if he does come back, how effective is he going to be? And I, I'm not sure that Ibanez is the answer, although... Uh, a big although, he's certainly better than anything they have right now. Well, you know, I've got to ask, what kind of separation did he have in that shoulder? I've seen football players that have completely separated shoulders come back sooner than this. I don't know. Uh, when I saw it on opening day, and I knew, I knew as soon as he slid, he had hurt himself, uh, and I figured it was going to be his shoulder. Uh, but, you know, what a stupid thing to do when you're that age, sliding headfirst into third base on opening day. What, it, it, it makes no sense. I would, I would tell my players you're fined, you know, 5000 bucks if you slide headfirst, and that would end it. Uh, but the Reds don't do that. At any rate, uh, Ludwig, uh, at his age, you know, he's 36 years old. Uh, he's, he, I, my personal opinion is he's not going to be able to make a contribution at all this year. And the question is, he's going to be able to come back next year at that age after sitting out an entire year. Well, here's another question, and it comes in from Pitts Ted. I'm sure he's got to be a Pittsburgh fan, but anyway, uh, Pitts Ted asks us, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies came out, and it's rumored that they are interested in trading Chase Utley. Would the Reds be interested in acquiring Utley and playing him at third base? I think it's a brilliant idea, uh, only because I thought of it earlier this week. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Are you Pitts Ted? No, but uh, Pitts Ted, I agree with you, buddy. Uh, I think that would be a great move for the Reds. He would be exactly what they need. Uh, the problem is he's not played third base in the regular season. You'd want to give a guy spring training if he's going to make a move like that. <clears throat> but he certainly has the arm and would be a great addition to the Reds. I, I just don't think the, the, the Phillies uh, would give him up short of the Reds sending the Phillies somebody they don't want to send him. Uh, if you're going to make a move like that, I, I think the move for the Reds is Giancarlo Stanton. I think that's the move. And um, if you're going to give up Billy Hamilton, or you're going to give up Robert Stevenson, or uh, any Donald Lutz, whomever you're going to give up. Uh, you know, you have to give up something to get youth, and uh, I would do it for Stanton. But I'll tell you another thing: the Reds really need—they need catching help. Uh, Hannigan's hitting 190. Uh, Mazzarocco is terrible defensively, and he's been the guy the Reds have counted on for the last five years to be their number one catcher. He's not even close to number one catcher. He's hitting 245. He's hit three home runs. He, he, he strikes out all the time. 
there are so many holes on this team that you, you've got to start bringing in some major league talent that you can build around for the next five or six years. And you know, going after Lacour um, or going after um, who just mentioned from Seattle, um, that, that's Ibanez. Ibanez. That, that's not going to solve the real major problems the Reds have. Well, Mark, just off the top of my head, we've talked about two players right now, in Abanez and Utley. They're both left-handed hitters. If I'm going to go after somebody on Philadelphia, especially if I'm the Reds, and if I'm the Indians, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going after Michael Young. He's exactly. a right-handed hitter, he's a cleanup hitter, and he's a third baseman. I go after Michael Young. I don't mess with Chase Utley. I agree with you. I, I think that's a good move for the Reds. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure Michael Young... Uh, is, he was making, I think, his contract was for 10 or $11 million this year. Uh, and, you know, he's halfway through the year, so it's going to cost somebody about 5 mil. But, again, it's who are they going to give up to get a, a, a rental? Now, you could argue that, that Young could step in immediately, and he, he's a very competent third baseman. So he's more likely, if you're going to look for a third baseman, he's the guy you want as opposed to Utley, unless you needed a, a second baseman. Or, you know, Utley can even play first base. He played first base a couple of years ago. So he's, he's a versatile guy, but I agree with you. Uh, if I had my choice, uh, I would get Michael Young. Okay, here's the story on Michael Young. His contract is for $16 million a year. However, the Phillies are only responsible for $6 million of it. The Rangers are eating $10 million a year. Yeah, I, I heard that $10 million number somewhere. I didn't know how much if the Phillies were picking up. But uh, I mean that, that's high-priced talent. And if you look at his statistics, unless he's had a big last two or three weeks, uh, he's only hit two or three home runs. And he, I think he's, you know, he's hitting around 290 to 300, I think. But, uh, you know, is he a guy that's going to change your lineup for that amount of money? I, eh, I, I don't know. You know it's, well, uh, I think he is. I do, Mark. I think he's the type of guy that you could slide in there. You could put Phillips back at number two. You could put Young batting cleanup. And with Votto and Bruce around him, I think he's a stud again. Yeah, you may be right. It's just a matter – it's not so much the money because, as you said, Texas is picking up $10 million. Uh, who do you have to give up? You know, Are you going to give up Todd Frazier? I would. I mean, I think Todd Frazier is a guy who's peaked. I really do. Uh, when you look at his swing, it is arguably the worst swing for a a power position in baseball. It's it's not even. I don't know how he maintains his batting average at 240. Uh, you talk about a guy who is overmatched. It's just un, it's unbelievable how bad he is sometimes. He makes Drew Stubbs look like a you know a proven contact hitter. It's just it's amazing. If I'm the Reds, I give up anybody, and you're going to have to help me with the name. I would give up anybody that the Phillies want, with the exception of Singrani, the kid that you've got in the minor leagues. That I think his name Robinson or Robert Stevenson. Robert Stevenson. I give up anybody but those two. Anybody else that they want, Hamilton and a pitcher, I give them for Michael Young. I know he's 36. But I'm in it to win now. I'm not in it to win three years down the road. We've already seen what happened to Washington when they put Strasburg on the shelf last year, and now look at what's happening. 
Yeah, I don't disagree with you. And there's an argument to be made that, uh, you know, you make those trades. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, uh, the Reds, their minor league shelf is reasonably bare. I mean, there is nobody that they can bring up from AAA that could, that could make a contribution. Uh, you know, there's usually every year you'll have somebody, you know, beating on the door, hey, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. The fans are clamoring. There's nobody clamoring for anybody <laughs> right now. Uh, the Reds at A ball and double A ball, they got a lot of talent. But uh, in high double A and triple A, they've got no talent, very little talent. So it, it's uh, there's not a lot you can get unless you want to further deplete your lower minors. And now you have a farm team that is bereft of any talent. And I'm not sure uh, Jockety has the guts to do that. Well, I, I would have the guts to do it. If it means I'm going to win this year, I, I'm winning this year. Well, you know, the reason I think that Philadelphia trade is coming up, and I think Philadelphia would want some young pitchers, is just what EngineFan24 is saying here in our next question. He's saying he's hearing that Cliff Lee is being shopped around to a lot of people. Would the Indians be interested? Uh, definitely Cliff Lee is being shopped around, Mark. We've heard that all over the place. The Dodgers are looking at him. Uh, the Rangers have even said to be interested in him again. Baltimore has been interested in him. He won't go to the Yankees. We've already found that out. And I doubt if the Indians are going to be interested in him, just simply because his contract is so huge. And, and with the investment that the Indians made throughout this offseason to Swisher, Bourne, and Reynolds, I doubt seriously if they're going to be interested in bringing on a 22 to 23 million dollar contract that Cliff Lee has back to the Indians. Yeah, I agree with you with Cliff Lee, but you, you, you know, you look at it, Dave. Uh, which team of the two, the Reds or the Indians, which team is more desperate to win this year? I think the Reds. I disagree. I, I think it's the Indians. I, I think the Reds. Fortunately or unfortunately, they've won it two out of the last three years. So they can say to their fans, hey, look, we had a down year. We, we didn't go, want to go out and break the bank. We didn't want to go out and deplete our minor league system. And, you know, we'll, we'll win next year. You know, we win every other year already. It's, it's You know, we're, we're fine. The Indians, they've been down for so long. They have a chance to win it this year. And to, I, I wouldn't suggest going after Cliff Lee. <coughs> Pardon me. But... I would expect the Indians to be more aggressive than the Reds because it is not desperation time, but they have a chance to, what's it been, 15 years since they won a division? No, they won it back in 2007. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, I keep thinking of the mid-90s. But, okay, it's been six years, or this is the seventh year now uh, since they've won. So this this team has a chance, and I, I think they're going to go out and surprise some people just like they did in the off season. Without those off-season moves, they wouldn't be where they are right now. Oh, I agree with you there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and before we get to our final Ask Us question tonight, Mark, I've got to tell you, Michael Bourne just got caught stealing, and it was because the infield is in such terrible shape, he slipped in between first and second about halfway and then got caught in a rundown. That's the main reason you shouldn't be playing this game in the conditions that they're playing it in tonight. But another thing is, I love some of the names that we get on emails, Mark. Wigwam Molly just sent us an email saying that tonight was Omar Vizquel bobblehead night. She says that she's heard us discussing about the 
debate that we normally have about who's a better second baseman, Roberto Alomar or Brandon Phillips. And she wants to know if we think Omar Vizquel is the best shortstop we've seen in baseball history. I'm going to let you answer this first. Well, you have to define that further, Wigwam Molly. And, and Wigwam Molly, you must be incredibly hot. It's all I can say. With that name, the, the, mind, <laughs> the mind boggles at your hotness. But at any rate, uh, if, you, if you separate defense from offense, or you combine the two, I think you come up with a different answer. Because there are certainly offensive shortstops that are far better than than uh, uh, Vizquel. Uh, Vizquel, to me, outside of Ozzie Smith, was probably the most spectacular shortstop I've ever seen play. Okay. I, I don't know if you disagree with that or not, but you saw him play more than I did, but I can't think of a shortstop. I think when you take offense and defense together, Mark, and and I'm only going to go together, I think Omar Vizquel is the best shortstop ever in baseball history. I think he's better than Ozzie Smith. I think he's better than anybody else you can put him up against. I mean, the guy was 150 hits shy of 3,000. He, he played 23 years. He, I don't know how many gold gloves he won. Uh, I know he said this weekend in an interview that he thought he was cheating when he came to the ma- came to Major League Baseball, to professional baseball, because they gave him a glove. He had never played shortstop with a glove before until he became a professional. He always played it with bare hands, and he felt like he was cheating. This guy came up to the majors, Mark, and he was a terrible hitter, and he ended up with 2,850-some-odd hits. And, and if he played another couple of years, he may have achieved uh, 3,000. But, I mean, he just what, what made himself life? into a good hitter. What was his lifetime batting average, though? Um, let me look here a second. Because I, I think he played, what, 21 years, 22 years? Yeah, he was, he was in the majors for like 21, 22 years. I'm looking it up right now. While you're doing um, that, I mean, you can go back again and compare – what I would call the modern-day shortstops that combined defense and offense. And, you know, look at Barry Larkin. You know, Barry Larkin put up stats offensively that very few shortstops did. But depending how far back you go, you know, Ernie Banks hit 44 home runs as a shortstop. Uh, Cal Ripken, tremendous power as a shortstop. Uh, There's a lot of guys back in the day that that specialized. Ozzie Smith was a terrible hitter most of his career. Uh, but was an unbelievable defensive shortstop. Uh, Dave Concepcion, uh, you, you can go on and on. There's just a whole lot of good shortstops, but it's it's hard. Well, I think you and I will get into an argument if we're going to compare Omar Vizquel with Cal Ripken Jr. because I never thought Cal Ripken Jr. was that great a ball player. The only thing that kept him going was the streak. Well, you know, look. And I mean, no, had, now, Mark, I can all right. <laughs> okay, look, as look far as Omar is concerned, 272 was his lifetime batting average. He ended up his career with 2,877 hits. That, that's a higher batting average than I thought. That, that, that's that's good. That's a good batting average. So, uh, Wigwam Mali, you may have a point. Uh, you know, when you com- and I only saw Vizquel play, uh, you know, a tenth of the time you did. But when I did see him play, what got me about Vizquel 
was how smooth he was. He never seemed to be throwing that hard to first base, but he always got his guy. He seemed to, to have that, uh, you know, whatever he needed to get over there, he did, and he never seemed to really need to cut loose because he was so quick charging the ball. So, uh, you know, I can't argue against Vizquel. I mean, if I if I had a team uh, and I wanted to, and I had a, enough offense other places, I would certainly look to Vizquel as, as one of my shortstops. Yeah, I, I just loved watching. You know, as far as the, the debate between Phillips and, and Alomar, either way, I really don't think you could go wrong. But as far as I was always concerned, and I thought this when he was playing, I thought Omar was head and shoulders above Ozzie Smith. I really did, just simply from the standpoint of what he could cover and the way that he hit the ball. Hey, that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment for this week. Don't forget you can join us next week and send in your questions all throughout the week to ask us or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or give us a tweet at OHBB co-host. Well, Mark, one other thing I want to bring up, and we've only got a couple of minutes left in the show, Jay Bruce, the all-star snub. I wanted to get to this earlier, but we didn't get a chance. What's your opinion on that? I don't think it was a snub. I mean, you look at the guys who made it, and, and Jay Bruce... Uh, I think he's had 18 home runs, driven in almost 60 runs this year. Uh, in fact, I think he got a 60th tonight. Uh, yeah, a fine season. He's off to a good start. Uh, but, uh, you know, Jay Bruce, to me, his best years are ahead of him, and uh, he's not reached his full potential yet. So I can't be that upset that he didn't make it. In fact, this year, I don't think there's any Reds that should have gone that didn't go. Um it's it kind of surprised me that uh, Brandon Phillips, uh, you know, won as easily as he did. I thought it was going to be closer than that, but uh, unfortunately, the Reds don't have anybody else in the mix. How about the Indians? Well, the Indians got Josh Masterson and Jason Kipnis in the game, and and I think those were two players that were well deserved. If they were going to get a third person in, Mark, I would say it would have to be Mark uh, Michael Brantley or Carlos Santana, and not because of his catching, believe me, but because of his offense. But I think Santana, or I think Kipnis and Masterson were well-deserved, and I think that's all that deserved to be on the team from the Indians. So the Indians have Detroit tonight, as we're going to sign off here in just a few minutes. Uh, this week, Mark, they've got, uh, starting tomorrow, they have Toronto in town for a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon game. And then they have Kansas City in town for a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon game. What do the Reds have coming up this week? Well, the Reds are in Milwaukee uh, next uh, two nights. Uh, and then they head out uh, down to Atlanta uh, for three games this weekend. Uh, uh, and then they go out west. And that is going to be a very telling trip right before the All-Star break. Uh, they go to San Francisco, Los Angeles, and San Diego. And I, I think the Reds could be made, made or break by the All-Star break. Uh, they, they could be done by then. And then they come back after the All-Star break and have three games against Pittsburgh. So these next these next uh, 15, 20 games, I think, are going to be the most telling for the Reds all year. Well, it should be interesting. We'll see if they're going to be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. Hopefully they're both Indians and the Reds are both buyers. Mark, should be a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one, Dave. Hey, and don't forget to join us on our show Thursday night, the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. I'm going to be talking with Michael Dice 
who is a reporter for the Fanside Network, and we're going to be talking to him about Jimmy Haslam and the Cleveland Browns problems. But we'll be back with you next Monday night here at UltimateSportsTalk.com with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Glad you could join us here this evening. Join us again next Monday night at 9 o'clock. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks to everyone for listening this evening. Until next Monday night at 9, good night, everybody.